Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of the Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9.30 and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this, turn up the volume, and let's go. Are you ready to get into the Word of God today? All right, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4. These messages have been key because we're shifting the mindset of our church toward expansion, toward what God would have us to do in this community for generations to come until the Lord returns. And so today we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. So one of Elisha's staff members had an issue and a problem. And she said, Your servant the man who worked for you, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. This is a very, very, very difficult position for Elisha to be in because this is somebody he cares about, somebody who has served him, and now that person is in dire straits and needs help, okay? Verse two, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? And then immediately he asked an important question that we all need to ask ourselves. What have you in the house? What God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in this church isn't, it's not external answers. He's going to do it from the inside working out. That's why Christianity is an inside job. He changes your heart. They're not, they're not rule-based, not trying to get you to conform to morality that we would superimpose on you. There is a transformation of the heart that occurs at faith that makes everything, everything new, everything different. He takes your heart of stone, the Bible says, and makes it a heart of flesh. He just changes you from the inside out. Amen to that. All right, and so he said, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except the jar of oil. Then he said, all right, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. He's telling her, you may have a little on the inside, but I want you to make preparations on the outside for something big to happen, okay? Then verse three, he said, go empty vessels, not too few, verse four. Then go in and shut the door. Say, shut the door. Shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they, who is they? The sons. The sons brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. What a powerful story of God's provision. These stories are here to show us the nature, heart, and character of a God who does not change. This is the power that the Lord has to take limitations and turn them into blessings. This is the goodness of God shown to us through an Old Testament account of a miracle that took place when somebody had to have God. It's essential that we have God. It's essential in your household that you have God. And so the miracle was in the house. This is, uh, this is interesting. He didn't say, go ask for oil. He said, go ask for jars. 
He didn't say go ask for help. He said go ask for jars. He's wanting them to create something for God to fill. This spiritual principle is real. We have this treasure, the Bible says, in earthen vessels, which means that if we can just make room for him, God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we might ask or think. If we can just make some room for God. Come on, somebody. You need to make room for God in your life. Make room for God in your calendar. Make room for God in your money. Make room for God in your family. Make room for God. And so he said, don't ask for just a few. He said, I don't want you to think small. I don't want you to ask small. I don't want you to pray small. I don't want you to give small. I don't want you to think small because God's about to do something big. That kind of expectation causes heaven to say, what's going on down there? You know, the Bible tells us when we pray, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God uses the agency of our prayers to bring his will down into the, life, the lives that we live and the, and, the, and the experiences that we have, okay? And so he said, go inside and shut the door. Why did he say shut the door? Because she didn't, <laughs> the prophet didn't want to let doubt and unbelief and whispering peek into, the, peek into the house and ask what was going on. Like, it's very important that we learn as a church how to shut the door on doubt when God wants to move. I refuse to approach life without the idea that Jesus is here, anything can happen. What I see is not all that there is. I believe in the things that are unseen more than the things that are seen. And so they uh, shut the door, pushed out unbelief, weren't going to let anything try to steal that moment that God was creating. And they poured oil into those jars. And as each jar was full, they put it to one side. And the sons kept bringing more empty jars. I'm telling you, they had peanut butter jars. They had old ragu cans. They had pickle jars. They had the, they had the Sam's Club pickle jar, you know, the Jars everywhere, mason jars. Where my moonshiners at? Oh, you're in church today. Don't want to tell me you're here, but I know you're here. Notice that God did not run out of oil. They ran out of vessels. She ran out of demand for the oil and the oil stopped. As a church, we cannot run out of the demand in our souls and hearts for the presence of God to flow into lives, to transform generations, and to help the people that need to hear a word from God and be saved from the hell that is coming. So it's not that God stopped giving oil, it's that the vessels were no longer empty. We gotta, we gotta empty ourselves of pride and empty ourselves of arrogance and empty ourselves of bitterness and empty ourselves of, of busyness that causes us to make God an ancillary part of our life. If he is not Lord, he will not be anything in our lives. Amen, somebody. And so the in, important thing that Elisha wanted them to realize was that, you know, gather vessels, not a few, because he didn't want the miracle that was about to take place to be limited by small thinking, small belief, small faith. Come on, somebody. We don't want to limit God by thinking he's just able to do enough. My God is more than enough. And so God doesn't give small. And we honor 
We honor God when we think big, create big spaces for him to fill, create big potential for him to alter. We honor God when we do that. And then he said, all right, now I want you to take that oil and sell it and live off of it and your sons can live off of it. And so this miracle is not just for you, ma'am, but the miracle is for the next generation. I don't just think about me. I think about your grandbabies and mine. And I don't have any, thank God. But I think about yours and I think about, I think about your children in the sense that what is the experience they're gonna have when it comes to what the church will be. I think about that at night. I think about that during the day. Because God wants to give this generation a front row seat to the miracle of oil being poured into people's lives. 85% of people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will do so before they turn 18. That's why baptism is so important. That's why having your kids in the presence of God where they experience his power and where they hear his word, it is essential because 85% of people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior do so before they turn 18. That's why we are radically and totally committed to the next generation. We're radically and totally committed to these kids. We're radically and totally committed to these students because 85% of people who receive Jesus Christ as Lord of their life do it before they turn 18. And so we're, we're, we're grateful for our past, but we are so crazily dedicated to the future because we have, I mean, y'all, I don't, I mean, I, I know what y'all are doing, but we have an abnormally high number of children in our church. That's why we're having so many activities, get y'all out the house. This bold men's event, these dream team parties, get y'all out the house. Because children and youth are 35% of our church, but they're 100% of our future. My sons are 100% of the future of this church. Your daughters, your sons are 100% of the future of this church and of faith and of what Christianity will look like in this city. And if Gen Z doesn't have revival and experience the power of God that alters them forever, then Gen Alpha behind them will never know what anything God is capable of. They won't know what it looks like. And they got to know Gen Z has to be marked by the power and presence and the love of God because Gen Alpha is going to follow them. And I'm committed to that. I'm committed to young people. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to this city. And I'm committed to raising up a generation of people who love the Lord Jesus and believe his word. And we're doing that with the future in mind. Only 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. Only 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. That means they look at scripture and say, this is God's truth. This is absolute truth. This is, this is the guide post of my life, right? Only 4% of Gen Z would have a biblical worldview. Gen Z spends seven and a half hours a day on their phone. Gen Z is dealing with the highest rates of depression and suicide in world history. Our kids, the kids in our schools, and maybe in our homes, God forbid, they're not okay. 
Gen Z is dealing with the highest rates of depression and suicide in world history, yet have more materially than they've ever had in any generation. Only 25% of Gen Z consider themselves religious, and that's not just Christians, that's anything, any stripe. Atheism has doubled from millennials to Gen Z, and those who identify as LGBTQIA+, has doubled from 10% to 21%. By 2050 at this rate, we will all be gay. of Gen Z has grown up without a father in the home. So that's where Gen Z is at. They're not thinking about God. They're not interested in God. They're not in the frame of reference that is considering God. But there is a church thinking about them. We're thinking about them. We're concerned for them. We know there is life and hope and liberty and healing and salvation that is only found in Jesus. And the only hope for them are churches and believers who will do whatever they can, however they can, whenever they can, to reach for them. And we're one of those churches in Jesus' name. Not trying to be the cool church. Not trying to be the young church. Not trying to be the hip church. We are a multi-generational church invested in each generation that honors each and every generation and yet has the maturity and conviction and calling to say, these younger ones need the message of Jesus. And we're willing to pay for it. How many of y'all know what it's like to have your, my kids are 17 and 19 now. If they want to hang out with me, I'm happy. They don't always want to. But if they decide to hang out with me, I'm paying for it. <laughs> Seriously. If they say, Dad, let's go to Chick-fil-A. I know I'm paying for it. And when I'm around my parents, you know, in the back of my head, it's like, are they paying for it or not? But I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm dang old. I'm grown. I, I can pay for them. The, 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 the investment in the generations is that the younger people decide style and they decide methodology and they decide a communication approach, but we decide how it's going to get paid for. And we have the wisdom on the other end. I can't believe I'm on the other end now, but I am on the other end now to say this is what the word of God says. God has always had a plan to use the next generation. It was the boys that brought the jars. God used the next generation. It was done through the sons. Do you hear me on that? Like, I don't believe the kids in the nursery today are experiencing the junior Holy Ghost or junior Jesus. I don't believe that they're experiencing some lesser version of God. They're hearing the voice of God just as Samuel heard the voice of God when the Lord whispered to him. I believe that God speaks to kids because 85% of Christians give their life to Jesus before they turn 18. God wants to involve the whole house in the miracle. 
He involved the sons. He involved the mom. He involved them in facilitating the miracle of what he was going to do. And God has always used young people. He used child king Josiah to restore the kingdom of God. He used, he used Joseph and gave him a dream. He used David and gave him a Goliath. God gave a boy five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000. God gave Samson a calling when he was young. God gave Esther a mission and God gave Mary a Messiah and they were all just very young. God chose young men to be his disciples and gave them a mandate to change the world. God has always used the next generation. He does not say, wait till you grow up. He says, I'll use you now. I'll use you now. I'll use you now. God's still using, calling, anointing, redeeming young people. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And I declare that over this church today. <laughs> Never bring age into the conversation as an excuse. Well, I'm too young to serve God. I need, you know, I need to go sow some wild oats. That's a phrase for, uh, I would say, maybe I, I'm going to say getting jiggy with it, but that's not even good enough. It's like, I need to go hoe it up a little bit. How about that, young people? Does that make enough sense for you today? Can I get an amen from the front rows of the house of God? Okay. Like, like, I'm, I'm too young to serve God. And so you go out and you make a bunch of mistakes and you come back to God and rebuild your life. That's not God's best. Or, or he'll also tell you, you're too old. You missed your moment. You're too, you're too old. And that's not true at all. You're never too old and you're never too young for God to use you. This is a multi-generational church and he calls the old and he calls the young. I just can't get it out of my head how Caleb said, we are more than able to take this mountain. And he was 85. You're not too young to serve God. Never bring age to the ageless one. Never bring age to the one who turns water into wine. Never bring age to the one who can restore wasted years. Samuel was a young boy, but he heard the voice of God. Holy Spirit is speaking. But the children have to be trained like Samuel in the Old Testament was trained that when God speaks, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We have to train our children to have this kind of God awareness in our homes. It says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And when you pray over your kids, don't pray limited prayers, pray big, spiritual, transformative, dreamy prayers over your kids. In the name of Jesus, I pray the angels of God would have the charge over my children tonight. Holy Spirit, fall on my babies tonight. Let them grow up to be world changers. Let them be history makers. Lord, change their world through them. Let them walk in the destiny of your highest calling for their life. Let them shake a nation. Even if your teenagers roll their eyes, keep praying it. 
We don't believe in a junior Holy Spirit. I am sorry, Ricky Bobby, but we don't believe in baby Jesus. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. It says your young men shall see visions in Acts chapter two. The Bible said the promises unto you and to your children and to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God is concerned about the next generation and this church ought to be too. So we spend money. We spend money on the students. We spend money on the children. We, we build for the children. We think about the children because there's something that God wants to do in the next generation. When God called Abraham in scripture, he was already thinking a thousand years into the future. You can read about it in Galatians 3. In Deuteronomy 7, the Bible says this. I wanna put it on the screen, Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and faithful, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Read these words with me out loud, church. To a thousand generations. That's why we sing that song, it's been a while, but to your family and your children and their children and their children. Because there is a generational thing God wants to do here. You need to raise your kids in the same church. You need to have grandkids in the church. You need to be committed to the soil of the house of God because that's one of the ways God builds a spiritual legacy in people's lives. Can somebody clap your hands to the Lord today? And so when those children are baptized today, when you're baptized today, it's not God just calling you, it's God doing something different in the thread that is your family tree. He's changing something. And I am the fruit of a multi-generational church. I left a church that hated me and moved to a church that loved me and it made all the difference. They celebrated me, they checked up on me, they called on me. When I was a surly teenager that didn't understand how important it was, they were patient with me. They did all of that and I always knew I was wanted. I always knew I was was loved. I always knew somebody was looking out for me and it made all the difference. We have to do the same. Can somebody clap your hands to God today? You don't need to be like a bunch of church mice. Come on. I'm trying to grab passion out of your souls. I'm trying to drive spiritual awareness into our souls this morning because there is a great need in this hour because God has a plan for the next generation. Point number two is this, the devil has always had a plan to destroy the next generation. Very simple. And if we don't reach the next generation, they're going to be raised in spiritual slavery and think it's normal. They're gonna be raised in spiritual slavery and they'll be so accustomed to it that it, thinks it, it, just, it just feels normal, like soul slavery. Society is churning out high, addicted, depressed, zombies that just do what they're told based upon the digital things that are telling them to do it. Seven and a half hours a day on the phone, medicated, suicidal, poisoned, and depressed. Living for likes, yearning for comments. Come on, there's more to this life. The kingdom of God calls, Satan has a plan. It's to steal and to kill and destroy. But the word of God says in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. 
And so, I mean, it's close to the Halloween season, of course, and I just want you to be aware that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is not going to show up in your home, you know, overweight in red spandex with a pitchfork. And think, seriously, guys, I just want to say this before it's actually seasoned. Before you put on that spandex, get in front of the mirror and make sure it's, you know, it's, just, just consider everything. But he's not going to show up in a red spandex suit to affect your family and home. He's going to come through confusion. He's going to sow brokenness. He's going to come through temptation and addiction and, and, and despondency and depression. That's how the enemy begins to sow his faithless way into your family, into your life. We gotta fight for the emotions and attention of a generation. Church can't be boring. We can't be boring and we must be all in on the next generation. Can I have an amen on that? Daniel, the book of Daniel shows us the plan that hell has for the kids. The evil king was after the children. The evil government of the time was after the children. And it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 1 and 5. Here's what the Bible says. It says, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. He wanted to control their food. He wanted to control their wine. He put them on government control. He gave them welfare. He knew that if he put them on his food, they'd think like him. He put them on his wine, they'd think like him. That's why the Bible says we shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why the Bible talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. These things affect how you believe, and this represents doctrine here in Scripture. It represents a way of thinking. That's why getting your kids to church consistently aids you in building a biblical worldview for your kids so you don't raise little atheists. It's the truth. Like the word of God can change their thinking, change their emotions. But he wanted to keep them fat and drunk on what he was serving. Like how you think and how you feel absolutely decide and determine the king that you worship. And so Nebuchadnezzar took these boys, these three Hebrew boys, and the first thing he did was take away their masculinity. He made them eunuchs. He stripped them of their manhood. And then he changed their names. Shadrach's Hebrew name was Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. Meshach's Hebrew name was Mishael, means who is like our God. And Abednego's Hebrew name was Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped me. He says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to take your gender. I'm going to take your sexuality. I'm going to confuse it. And I'm going to change your name. He gives the boys three female names. Shadrach, that name means servant of a coup. Aku was a moon god of Babylon, and it also means I am fearful or I am afraid of me. Meshach means who can compare to Aku or I am despised. And Abednego means worshiper of Nebo. This play that's being run right now in the world is not a new play. It's an old play with ancient origins. It's happening. And it is a stripping of identity, a renaming of the kids, and it places confusion upon them by giving them female names. Hello, 2023. This is not normal, but it is predictable. And there's an acceleration of confusion that's happening in our culture. And, and, and Daniel, in chapter three, you can read it. He says, okay, 
Now I've done all this to you and when the music plays, when the, when the sack butt and the, whatever a sack butt is, I don't think we have one up here, but when the sack butt and the lyre and the trumpet begin to play, when you hear the music, you come and you bow down before the God Baal or I will kill you. And that's when the Hebrew boys said, you can take my masculinity, you can change my name, you can do what you wanna do, but I will not bow to your false gods. I don't care what is normal in the culture. When my worship is at play, that's where we bow up and say no. No, 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 no. And he said, well, we're gonna have to throw you in the fiery furnace. They said, that's fine, king. You can throw us in the fiery furnace, but we're not bowing to your false God. There is one God. There is one God. There is one God, and he alone is worthy of our worship. And so... They took a stand and they were thrown in the fire, the fiery furnace. It was so hot, the men throwing them in were melted immediately when they threw the kids in the fire. And somehow King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3 and 24, it says this, the king rose up and went to look at the fire. Verse 24 of Daniel 3, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, 25. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of that fourth man is like a son of the gods. Can I tell you there's a fourth man in the fire with your children? Can I tell you that when you dedicate the path of your family and life to God, he'll cause supernatural help to show up on your behalf when you need him the most? We don't judge anybody harshly. I will judge ideologies and we will take a stand against ideology for individuals get grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, understanding, prayer, okay? Um, but we will not bow to extremism. And there's a fourth man in the fire when the battle is raging. I believe that what we have in the house is enough for the next generation. I believe the power of God still flows in the church. I believe there are some fathers who need to examine themselves and ask, when's the last time I have decidedly and declaratively, without a question, guided my family in the home toward God? I didn't wait for the church to lead my kids to Christ. I led my kids to Christ in our living room when they were little. I opened up the Bible and I told them about Jesus and I told them what he'd done for me. I told them how the story of our family changed because of God's goodness. And I led them to Christ in our living room. I was thinking about it this week. Like the home is the first church. You must be, and if you don't have kids yet or you're trying to have kids and you haven't had them yet or if it's so far off, just know that what you're doing now matters and there is a legacy that will live through your life and it does come at you quick. And you start having kids and you don't understand. I didn't understand, you know, how important every moment was. 
But when I didn't understand how important every moment was, I had declared our direction. And declaring your direction will make up for what you didn't know as a young parent. You hear me on that? And so there's an anointing in this place. One of the things that we're going to do when we build this third campus, you know, it's, it's too far to take the kids from the south side up to the far north side and vice versa. And, but they want to be together. Like you get them together, it's crazy. There's, there's a hundred and something of them and there'll be more. We're going to use that east campus as a central rallying point for our students. And so consistently, we're going to bring them together. It's not too far from here. It's not too far from there. We're going to bring them together there. And we'll have 250, 300 kids in one place, discipling, preaching, elevating. And then we're not just going to leave it there because we're not running a student outreach here. We're running a student inreach. If you bring your students to church, like you need to introduce them to Pastor Trey at the south side, to Pastor Didi at the north side, to the team, that there's lots of team members. Like it's your job to guide them into a path of discipleship. Doesn't matter when you're starting. 85% of people who are Christians decide to be Christians before they turn 18. The miracle is never in the jar of oil. The miracle is in the God who provides the oil. And we, we're the generation God's chosen. If we build this church, which we will build this church, it's a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in our community for decades, decades to come until the Lord returns. And so I have to ask the question, what do you have in your house? Is the oil flowing in your house? And if the oil is flowing, are you filling up as many vessels as possible? Do you understand there's a miracle God wants to do in the next generation? As you watch your babies get baptized today, as you watch your children get baptized today, as you maybe get baptized today, whatever it is, know that it's the oil of God flowing and changing changing the story of your family. We need to have a generational view in mind. God, I feel the Holy Spirit of God in this room right now. I know it's there at the north side as well. I think I've got more to say, but just know we have to be totally sold out to what God is doing. We need to be sold out with our time, with our attendance, with our money, with everything. We're not gonna be nominally committed to what God is doing in the earth. I'm not gonna be passively committed when all of society is foaming at the mouth to make a difference in the lives of our children. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.